Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. We hope to enrich your life through reaching, serving, giving, and building. As you listen to this teaching, be inspired to fulfill your God-given destiny through the power of His Word. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Revelation. We've been in a series called You've Got Mail, but believing that God is delivering a specific message to us as a church. Many of you know there are seven churches listed in Revelation. There are seven letters to those churches. In the last couple of weeks, we've talked about the, the letter to the church at Ephesus. And remember, God was telling them, hey, you've lost your first love. Go back. And that same passion that you had before, capture it again. Uh, we also talked about the letter that he wrote to the church at Smyrna, that church that was under suffering and severe persecution. And he told them, if you'll remain faithful to the end, there's a crown of life that's waiting for you. Well, the message today is the letter to the church of Pergamum. Pergamum. Everybody say Pergamum. 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 And, uh, and this is an interesting, interesting city. And, and if you'll give me a little bit of latitude, again, I love this series because it's stretching me. Uh, it's forcing me to go places that I don't naturally or normally go in my study, in my preparation. A lot of history to this. How many of you love history? How many of you slept through history? Okay, well, stay awake today. I'm going to do my very best to keep this engaging, okay? Pergamum was one of the most influential cities in the Roman Empire. Uh, it was home to a major university. It had one of the largest libraries in Asia. How many of you like the library? How many ever heard of the library? <laughs> How many of you are thankful for the Internet? <laughs> yeah, Google. Um, home of one of the major universities, great library. It was highly cultured. They loved the arts. They loved theater. One of the unique things about Pergamum, okay, now this is an ancient city, but I want you to hear this. They had a large medical complex, and it was located in the temple of Asclepion, okay, Asclepion. Asclepion was one of the Greek serpent gods, okay, and it was a god of healing. And so they built this this series of buildings, this health complex, and it was in the shape of a snake to honor the, the serpent god of Asclepion. Um, interesting dynamics about this hospital. It was kind of a combination of both a, a, a health spa and a hospital. You could get everything from a mud bath to major surgery. And a lot of the Roman emperors would travel to Pergamum specifically for treatment at this health center. Now, what's interesting is this. If you had a condition or a sickness, you would go to the health center. They would evaluate you. Now, if you were near death, they wouldn't let you in because they said no one's going to die in this hospital. It has a reputation for bringing healing. And so it's kind of interesting. But if they knew you were going to survive, they would allow you to check in and they would bring you into the lower dungeon area, kind of a dormitory that is in the basement of this health complex. They would give you a sedative and then you would go to a room and sleep on a mat in a room full of snakes. <laughs> How many are thinking, man, if there's a room full of snakes, there will be no sleeping. Come on. 
But, but this, okay, now consider Pergamum, they, they worshiped this serpent God and felt that healing came from the serpents. Now, this is where they got it from. Remember in the Old Testament when the children of Israel, they were in the wilderness and they, they suffered all those snake bites. Remember that? And God told Moses to take that bronze, make a, a bronze statue of the head of a serpent. And anyone who looked at that serpent, if they had sickness, they were healed. Remember that? So they're kind of borrowing this idea, but they're perverting it in a way. And so they would give you a sedative, you'd sleep on a mat, and if a snake were to crawl over your body, that was considered a divine sign. Help me, man. Help me know if a snake crawled across your body, that's not a divine sign. You need to get out of Dodge. But, but what was said was, okay, as you're sleeping, if a snake crawls across your body, what he's going to do is whisper the diagnosis of your disease to you in a dream. And so once you would wake up, then you would go to the priest or to the clerks in charge. You would tell them your dream and they would interpret it for you through divination or through seances or sorcery. They would tell you what the prescription was. How many of you are thankful for Lady Lake Hospital? (laughs) Baton Rouge General, God bless you. Um, so, so you kind of had that dynamic happening in Pergamum, and we'll tell you in just a minute why that's so significant. Also, this city, again, very influential, but this was a city of political and judicial power. The governor of Asia lived in Pergamum, and he was given absolute power. The rulings and decisions that he would make from his seat of judgment, that held all throughout the, the, the country. And so he was given what's called the right hand of the sword. If you were the governor of Asia, you, you ruled out of Pergamum. The decisions that you made, you were given the, the right of the sword. And the right of sword literally meant the power of life and death. Okay, So you get it. It's an educational part. There's a very cultural part. There's a, a, um, a medical portion of this. And then there's a political side. All these components make up the city of Pergamum. And in the midst of all this, you have the church. And I love that about God. Because God has people all over the world. He's got people in dark places and difficult places. He's got people that he's empowered in faraway places you've never thought of. But even up against all kinds of influences, God still brings truth to his people. Can I have a good amen? Look at what it says in Revelation chapter 2, starting with verse 12. Okay, that was the history lesson. Turn to your neighbor and say, I survived the history lesson. I think it's important that you know context so when you read the text, you have greater understanding. If you know the backstory, it makes the front story pop. Revelation 2, verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum, he said, write this. The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. Now stop right there and I want you to underline or circle that phrase, sharp two-edged sword. Question. What's the sword? It's the very word of God. Now, the Bible says that it's sharp and it's two-edged. What does that mean? It cuts on both sides. It cuts both ways. The one who has the sharp two-edged sword. Who has the sharp two-edged sword? The Lord Jesus himself. Now, in contrast to the governor of Asia, who was considered to have the right of sword, what Jesus is saying is simply this. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, Jesus sets the standard. Jesus sets the standard of what's true and what's not true. He distinguishes between right 
and wrong. The standard is not held in the hand of a governor. But Jesus said, now remember, in these letters, you'll see Jesus starts the letter by identifying himself. He wants the church to know who it is that's pinning these words and why it's so important. You see, in Pergamum, everybody looked to the governor of Asia as the final authority. He had the power of life and death. Yet Jesus says, that sharp, two-edged sword, it's in my hand. Jesus holds the standard. Can I have a good amen? You see, and I think this is important because it's easy, especially in the society that we live in today. Many people say, well, we're smarter than God. And they set their own standard of morality. How many of you know it's a dangerous thing when we begin to establish what's right from wrong and we delineate from Scripture? When we get away from the standard of Scripture, and that's why I think it's especially important for us as a church in the modern age. You say, Mike, this is such an ancient book. You know, what does an ancient book have to say to modern times? The treasure of God's Word is this. It's timeless. And, you know, the, the challenge that we face today in culture is a lot of times people trying to take the Ten Commandments out of the community trying to move God out of the marketplace, almost in a, in, a, in a defiance or an arrogance that says, we know better than God. Have you discovered that even smart people can do dumb things? Come on, can I have a better amen? amen. <laughs> I read recently about three people in an airplane. One was the pilot, one was a Boy Scout, and one was the world's smartest man. He had the highest IQ in the land. In this plane, and the plane starts having engine trouble, and it begins to go down. They realize that there was only two parachutes in this plane. Three men, two parachutes. Well, the world's smartest man immediately said, you know what? The world needs my brain. I have a responsibility to offer all this knowledge and intelligence. The world needs me. So he grabbed a parachute and jumped out of the plane. Well, that left the pilot and the Boy Scout. The pilot looked at the Boy Scout and says, listen, young man, you have your whole life to live. I've already seen, I've already done, why don't you go ahead and take the last parachute? Well, the Boy Scout looked at the pilot and said, sir, you don't have to worry about that, just relax, because the world's smartest man jumped out of the plane with my backpack. <laughs> How many of you know it's a mistake to think that we're smarter than God? Listen to me, when God says, thou shall not, I know man would snub his nose and say, well, why can't I? Right? But listen to me. When God says thou shalt not, you know what he's saying? He's saying, don't hurt yourself. Right? When we tell our kids don't do something, it's not for their restriction. It's for their protection. Can I have a better amen? amen. Come on. Are you into this this morning? Could you inform your face that you're into this this morning? When God says thou shalt not, he's saying don't hurt yourself. When he's saying thou shall, he's saying Help yourself to happiness. But when man thinks he's smarter than God and he can erase the boundaries and redraw them according to his own intellect, he's in trouble. Hebrews says it this way, for the word of God is alive and it's powerful. Can somebody help me preach today? This word, oh, it's an ancient document, but it's a lot. There's life in this book. 
The word of God is alive and it's powerful and it's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. There's that phrase again. And it cuts between the soul and the spirit, between the joints and the marrow, and it exposes the innermost thoughts and desires of the heart. You say, Mike, why is that important? Why is that double-edged sword important? Here's why. Because in your mind and in my mind, we have both good thoughts and bad thoughts. And you know what that sword will do? That sword will cut away the bad that doesn't belong. In our hearts, in your heart, in my heart, we have good desires, we have godly desires, and we have ungodly desires. And this sword will divide. This sword will cut things away that don't belong. Almost like a, a surgeon, when he, when, if there's cancer that's attached itself to an organ in the body, that surgeon will take that knife, that scalpel, and will cut away the sickness so that the organ can remain and produce life. Are you with me? Jesus is identifying himself and he's saying to the church in Pergamum, I know your governor has the right of sword, but there's another sword that's sharper and it's held in my hand. Number one, Jesus sets the standard. It's God's word. It's not culture. God's word has the final say. Look at verse 13. This is what he tells them. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Now, let me stop right there. Satan's throne is a reference, again, a little history. In Pergamum, Satan's throne is a reference to the great altar of Zeus. He was the supreme Greek god that they all worshipped. And there was a literal altar, a monument built to Zeus. And this is the reference to Satan's great throne. Interesting he uses the word throne because throne is symbolic of the chair. The Lord of the house sits in this chair. In other words, Jesus is saying that the devil is comfortable in this area. He claims this as his territory. It's dark. It's difficult. It's the domain of the devil. So Jesus has a church. He's got believers that are living and serving him in dark, difficult places. He says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast to my name. And you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Now, Antipas is a reference to the bishop of Pergamum. He was the overseer of the church in Pergamum. Now, here's how the word witness, he was a faithful witness. That's the same word in the Greek as the word martyr. And here's how Antipas gave his life for the cause of Christ. In this this great altar of Zeus, in the the throne room of Satan, there was what was called a bronze bull. Okay, and you can study this, and it's it's really fascinating. It's it's incredible to consider. But they constructed this big bronze bull. Almost, if you've ever been to New York City, you've ever been to the financial district in lower Manhattan, and you see that bull, there was this bronze bull that was constructed at the altar of Zeus, and it served as an oven. Okay, it was empty on the inside, and you you lift the side, and those who would be killed, they took victims. Anybody who had uh, transgressed the laws, are they deemed worthy to be killed? Many times it was Christians. They would bind up these victims, and they would, like like a Dutch oven, put these individuals inside this bronze bull, and underneath they would build a fire. 
and they would literally roast their victims in the bowels of this bull. And when the moaning and groaning and the suffering and pain of the people was expressed in this hollow bull, it almost seemed to make the bull come alive. I mean, think about how dark that is. Okay, so now Jesus is making reference to the throne of Satan and, and, and all the, the oppression of the local church. He says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's thrown in, yet you, 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 hold, you hold fast to my name. You didn't deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam. Everybody say Balaam. Circle that. We'll get back to it in a second. You hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. Verse 15. So also you have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and will war against them with the sword of my mouth. There's that word, the sword, again. Now, in these two verses, in verses 14 and 15, Jesus makes reference to two things. He makes reference to Balaam, and he makes reference to the Nicolaitans. Okay? He's giving them warning. Hey, church, I've seen your perseverance even in the midst of suffering and persecution, but here's what I have against you. You've allowed the teachings of Balaam and the teachings of the Nicolaitans to contaminate you. Here's the second thing I want you to write down. Number two, there are two people you got to beware of. You got to beware of bad Balaam and tricky Nicky. The Nicolaitans and the spirit of Balaam. Bad Balaam and tricky Nicky. And I'm not talking about Nick Saban either, okay? Just for the record. Now, let me explain this. You say, Mike, what's the deal with Balaam? Okay, in the book of Numbers, Balaam was a prophet. And the king of Moab came to Balaam because he hated the children of Israel. And so he hired Balaam. He said, Balaam, I'll pay you a large sum of money if you'll come and curse God's people. So Balaam took the money, and he went to the area and saw God's people, and he tried to curse them. But you know the story. He couldn't. What came out of his mouth was blessing, not curse. That tells me this, that whatever curse you feel is on your life, the blessing is always greater. You can't curse what God has blessed. Come on, can you shout me better than that today? You can't curse what God has blessed. Balaam is trying to curse the people of God. And and the king of Moab, his name was Balak, he was so upset because he hated the children of Israel. Look, I'm paying you good money. Say something nasty. Say something evil. Say something mean about his people. And when he saw them in the valley, all he could do was speak blessing. Oh, it's so encouraging to know. It doesn't matter what's come against you, what's been spoken over you, the labels that the devil has tried to attach to you, that the blessing is always greater than the curse. Now, Balaam said, okay, well, look, since I can't curse them, won't you trick them into sinning? If you'll get them to worship idols, then the curse will fall upon them. So the spirit of Balaam is simply this. Watch this. The spirit of Balaam is a spirit of compromise. And Jesus is telling the church, be careful that you don't walk in compromise. Are you with me? 
Be careful because there's a standard of purity and holiness. Don't invite things into your life that would create compromise because the Christian who lives in compromise is a Christian that will always struggle to find God's best. Beware of the spirit of Balaam. Watch out. Bad Balaam, he wants wants to pull you down, and he'll do it in, in unique ways. And we live in a culture where it's easy to compromise, do we not? I mean, think about the Internet. Think about social media. Think about what's coming against our children. I mean, the the Internet can be a tool used for great things. In fact, I talked to a guy this morning who said, I was in Tennessee last Sunday, and we couldn't be in church. And so we got on the the, the website, and we dialed into the service. And all the way from Tennessee, we were able to participate. The Internet can be used for great things, but it can also be dangerous ground, too. You know what? the, the, The Internet gives our kids access to the world, but it also gives the world access to our children. It's a world of access and excess. Be careful. And the instruction of the Lord to the church is be careful what you put in front of you. Be careful of the movies that you watch, the entertainment that you're a part of, the music that you listen to, the practices that you engage in. How many of you know God wants holiness and purity in his people? He wants us to be set apart. Listen, that's why the sword is so important. God cuts away things that don't belong. Why? So he can distinguish and set apart the things that do. There's something distinctive about being a lover of Jesus. We don't think like, act like, walk like, talk like, do like everybody else. Come on, can I have a better amen? And I know the pressure in the world is, well, everybody else is. Well, they are. Well, why can't we? I didn't share this in the first service. I'm going to do it right now. It's like the dad whose kids came to him and said, you know what, dad? There's a this, this certain movie that we want to see. And, oh, man, all of our friends want to watch it. I mean, it's so popular. It's amazing. Can we go watch it? And he said, well, well, what rating is it? Well, it, it's rated R, but... You know, it, it's only because, you know, there's some, you know, the, 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 some of the special effects and, you know, there's a couple violent scenes and only a couple of, you know, they only show skin a few times and they only use God's name in vain about four or five times. But really, I mean, it's getting all these awards. Everybody, dad, can we please? And the dad said, no, we're not going to do that. They're like, well, why? No, not going to do that. Parents, can I tell you this? Sometimes you can say no and you don't have to give a why. So obviously they were disappointed. They were upset. Well, the dad went in the kitchen and man started making a treat. He started making these special gourmet brownies. He said, hey, hey guys, look, I get to make it up to you. I'm going to make you these fresh batch of brownies. Who wants some brownies? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, it's, it's made with the finest gourmet qualities. It's an old recipe that my grandmother used. I've just added one small ingredient to it. Dog poop. They're like, What? Yeah, I mean, look, it's not that big a deal. I mean, everything else about it is fantastic. You're not even going to notice it. You won't even, I promise you, it's going to be a delightful treat that will bless your life. How many know those teenagers didn't eat those brownies? And what was the dad trying to do? Come on, how many know that dad was smart? Yeah, listen, there may be a lot of great things in that movie, but just a little bit of dog poop is going to change this brownie from something special to something nasty. Come on, can I have a better amen? You got to beware of the spirit of Balaam. He's going to try to come in and corrupt your children. He's going to try to trash your life. 
I remember when Rachel and I first got married, we lived in apartments off of Blue Bonnet, and we were cleaning up the apartment, and I was hustling to get things together because I had a meeting at, at 2 o'clock that afternoon. And so I'd taken all the garbage out of the, the, the bathrooms and the bedrooms and the kitchen. I put it all in one bag. I tied it up, and, and uh, you know, I threw it in my car because I was going to take it to the front of the complex and put it in the dumpster. Well, I got in such a hurry, and I kind of, oh, man, I got to get ready, and we were cleaning, cleaning, jumped in my car. I drove a 1988 Dodge Omni. Come on, a little two-tone gray. That was my dog. Ooh, I love that car. I mean, the door handles were broken, so I had to leave the windows down, kind of reach inside to get in. How many had a car like that ever in your life? The lining of the ceiling was falling down, resting on my head. But that was my dog, man, my Omni. I loved, so I threw the, 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 the trash bag in, in the back, and man, I was going to go to the front of the comp. Man, I had this meeting on my mind. I got to the church, man, worked three or four hours. It's like six, seven o'clock. I get back in my car. I'm headed home. I'm like, ooh, something stink. What is that? And I heard something shuffling in the back. Well, I had forgotten to empty the trash. And I looked back, and there was a big old alley cat about that big that had jumped in my back seat, had tore up that trash bag, I mean, was all up. That cat looked at me, and I looked at him, and I don't know who jumped out of the car first. I almost wrecked on Highland Road. I thought, man, what? And see, watch what happened, though. I invited some filth into my life. That filth attracted things. Come on, somebody. Listen to me, some of you, when you go back to old friends, you go back to old sins. I'd invited something into my life that didn't belong. It attracted things that shouldn't come along. And next thing you know, I thought I almost wrecked myself. And God's telling the church of Pergamum, beware of the spirit of compromise. Balaam will invite some things in you that will pollute your spirit. He said, some of you are holding to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Now, let me tell you about Tricky Nicky, okay? Let me tell you about the Nicolaitans. It comes from two words, Nico, N-I-C-O, which means to fight or to oppress. And Latians, L-A-I-T, is the same word for the regular people or laity. Here's what some scholars believe the Nicolaitans were. They were the clergy who used their spiritual authority to oppress the regular people. So whereas Balaam was about compromise, the Nicolaitans were all about spiritual pride. It's all about using my authority to oppress you. You can't hear from God. I got to tell you what God says. Now, let 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 me just encourage you. Let me stop right here. Here's the danger, especially in the modern church. We've taken our eyes off the Lord. And we've put them on the pastor. Or we put them on the evangelist. Or we put them on the latest, greatest celebrity speaker, preacher, author. Listen, I'm grateful for the men and women that God uses. And let me tell you what a privilege it is for Rachel and I to pastor this church. But don't you dare take your eyes off of Jesus. Here's the danger. When you fight the, the, the Nicolaitans, tricky Nicky, this is how this works. You get a guy up on there that's maybe going to seminary and maybe he's the pastor. And the, 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 the dangerous thing is this. If you're not reading your Bible, then you're simply taking what he says as gospel. And, and what will happen is this. When we take our eyes off of Jesus and put it on a man, we will be disappointed every single time. Man will let you down. 
I will fall short. The beauty of the gospel is this. The gospel says that it's level ground, the playing field. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That same grace that covers you is the grace that I need in my life. That revelation that God's given us in his word, it's available to you just as well as as it is to me. Be careful of the guys who use the, the platform of the gospel to create celebrity status for themselves. Listen, the last time I checked, there's only one superstar, and his name is Jesus. And my job and your job is to make Jesus famous. And if Jesus is famous, then I'm okay with being anonymous. That's why when you come to Healing Place, we make this all about the Lord. It's not about a personality. It's not about a gift mix. It's not about a talent or ability. It's about Jesus himself. Beware of bad Balaam and tricky Nikki. He says in verse 16, repent. Somebody say repent. I love that. It's one of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture. It's not a bad word. Repent is literally a change of heart, a change of mind. He says, be careful. Look what it says in verse 17. i got to wrap this up. Verse 17, he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. Everybody say hidden manna. Now, hidden literally means this, coming from a source that's not visible. Watch this. He says, I'm giving you some hidden manna. This is a direct reference to the Old Testament when the children of Israel, they they trusted God to supply their needs each day. Hidden manna. The source wasn't visible or seen by the world, but there was an unseen source that brought strength to them. Number three, I want you to write this down. Draw strength from Christ himself. Draw strength from Jesus. Question, when did the Israelites get manna? Were they in the promised land or were they in the wilderness? How many of you say the wilderness? Listen to me, church. We are not in the promised land yet. We're in the wilderness. Some of you are in a season where you feel like you're out in the wilderness. God supplied supernatural provision when they were in the wilderness. Manna comes when you and I are on the move. Come on now. Are you catching this? You're not going to dwell. You're not going to stay in the wilderness. But as you're in a season, maybe it's difficult. Maybe you feel like you're struggling to find strength. God says, I've got hidden manna. It's a source that the world doesn't see. The world doesn't know. Listen, the world didn't give it to you. And the world can't take it from you. He says, I'm going to give you some hidden manna. Didn't Jesus tell his disciples when you pray? He said, give us this day. Or what? Daily bread. You know, when we receive communion and we take that little wafer, that bread, it represents what? The body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Some of you in the wilderness right now need to know Jesus is with you. Bread brings nourishment to our soul, strength to our body. He's promising the church of Pergamum, hey, beware of Balaam. Tricky Nikki, be careful. Don't let arrogance cause you to go somewhere where I haven't called you to go. He said, but if you'll listen, if you'll stay faithful, I've got some hidden manna for you. I've got a strength. See, listen, some of you, you're at work and people don't understand you. 
They don't know, why is it that you're so happy? Why is it that you're always so positive? How in the world could you all, I mean, you seem to stay on course. What is that? We know what that is. It's not us. There's hidden manna inside of us. God's bringing nourishment to your soul. He's strengthening your relationships. Tell you this, go in the strength that you have, and God will give you the strength that you need. If you'll go in the strength that you have, Mike, I don't have much. God says, go with what you have, because I'm going to show up with what you need. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the church. He said, to the one who conquers, I'll give some of the hidden manna. And look at what it says in the last part of 17. And I will give him a white stone. Somebody say white stone. I'll give him a white stone with a new name written on that stone. A name that no one knows except the one who receives it. Jesus said, I'll give you hidden manna. And there's a white stone for you to receive. You say, Mike, what's the deal with the white stone? Remember, he's writing this to the church in Pergamum. Why don't you consider this? A a white stone. This was important. If you were on trial, accused of a crime, and of course it went before the judge, the governor of Asia, remember that he was thought to have the right of sword. And a decision was made for your innocence. If you were acquitted of a crime you've been accused of, you know what they would give you? A white stone. And you'd carry that white stone with you. And anytime somebody brought accusation, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. I know that's what they said. But look, I've been acquitted. I'm not guilty of what what, what they're saying. Innocence, purity. Jesus says, I'll give you a white stone. This is good news because some days, some days we feel guilty. Some days we've been accused and we feel like exactly what they say we are. God says, no, innocent, pure, free. You know what else Whitestone was given? In the gladiator games, if you were a participant in the gladiator games and you won, the victor of the gladiator games got a white stone and you'd bring that stone to the feast afterwards and that stone gave you a place at the table. Stone gave you a place. Not only does it symbolize innocence and purity, but this is a symbol of victory. Some of you are in a battle for your life, a battle for your soul. You feel like everything is surrounding you and you struggle to find the strength inside of you. God says, I'll give you victory. Uh, The victory belongs to Jesus. He's the victor. You get the stone. Oh, remember the, 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 the hospital and the health spa? If you had been cured of a disease or a sickness, they gave you a white stone. This stone symbolizes healing. It symbolizes victory. <laughs> it symbolizes innocence. There's so much that this stone represents. And Jesus said, I'll give you a white stone, but you know what? I'm putting a name on it. It's a name that nobody else has seen. Nobody else has heard. It's a name that's specific for you. It's a name that I know and you know. I want you to know this. God has a new identity for you. The world will put shame on you. And we say it all the time. Shame on you. Shame on you. The world will put shame on you, but God puts his name on you. He's saying, don't worry about a label. 
there's a new identity in me. Do you receive that this morning? Mm, Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening. For more information about Healing Place Church, go to healingplacechurch.org or give us a call at 225-753-2273.